Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is marked for sensitive content. Check content warnings in the episode description before listening. This week on The Breakup Breakdown. My husband starts hinting around like an open relationship. I can't do this crazy thruple thing. He's like, okay, I understand. I go and I get in the shower and I come out and there's two cops there. I was like, well, what are the basis of these charges? And she's like, well, your husband said, and I'm like, whoa, 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 my husband? This is the first time I've ever gotten a submission that included a news story, let alone multiple ones. It's the first of its kind on the Breakup Breakdown, where we're going to be talking to a woman who says she was recently acquitted of charges her husband brought against her. This ain't the nightly news, but boy, do we have a story for you. Hey, what's up? It's Abby from The Breakup Breakdown. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Do you have a breakup story that you think the world should hear? Did you go through something so crazy, so jaw-dropping that you're like, I need to get this off my chest? Or hey, maybe you've been following somebody that got engaged like a year ago, and then all of a sudden one day you noticed, I think they deleted all of their photos. Did they break up? You can submit all those stories and inquiries there's a submission form in the episode description that you can fill out all those details and let me know. Also, if you like following your podcast on social media, I'm on Instagram at Breakup Breakdown Podcast. And if there's a part of this interview that you'd like to jump around to, you can check out timestamps in the episode description. And as always, if you like this podcast, I'd appreciate it if you left us a positive review. Hey, Heartbreakers. Welcome back to another episode of the Breakup Breakdown. That literally brings our tagline, when true love feels like a true crime story to a whole other level. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to give you a heads up on what domestic violence shelter we are raising awareness for this week. This week, we're supporting Bridges Domestic Violence Center near Nashville, Tennessee. Yeehaw! If you feel called to donate your time, money, or resources, they even have an Amazon wish list. You can check out all those helpful links in the episode description. Guess who's here with me? Miles and miles away. It's one of my exes, ex-coworker Justin. And I have a new title, ex-coworker now. I know. Sad. You've been demoted. <laughs> I was telling one of my new coworkers, I was like, you can come on be co-worker insert name here and they're like I don't want to be labeled that I'm like it's a badge of honor okay she, yeah you should you should be happy for that when I was an intern at another radio station you got to be called like intern Abby and that was a badge of yeah. honor I think you guys are gonna lose your minds over this submission because we're kind of going behind the scenes of I guess you could call this a true crime story sort of like true crime but without the crime but with crime allegedly there were crimes what level of crime are we talking here like oh, Justin you about to find out I got a submission that included two news articles about this woman whose husband claimed that she assaulted him, like knocked him out, kicked him, shot a gun into the floor. Like it would sound like a really crazy situation. So I'm reading through this news story and I'm watching like the little clips and stuff. And the first article had some really interesting quotes from her attorney. And I'll just paraphrase them. The attorney said that they believe that the charges were made up to get back at his wife because she kicked their female roommate out. Out, which okay. they're a married couple with a female roommate, Justin. What does that what does that tip you off as? It leaves a lot of room for error. Let's put it that way. There's a lot to fill in the blanks here. And so I wonder when they say female roommate, were the husband and this female roommate hooking up? You know what I mean? Like, was there something skeezy going on? Was there an affair? Right. Like, that's what I'm thinking is like, if you're in a situation where like, you know, you feel like something bad might happen, you go home. But if you are home where 
that something bad might happen. Where do you go? You literally have nowhere to go. So it's plausible. I don't see many situations where the significant other would be cool with a roommate that's not related. You know what I mean? Like that's the other part of this. If they were related, that's different. But if you're if you're just the opposite sex and a roommate, there's just a lot of potential for problems. No, it's funny. I am. I have a really close friend that lives. Well, they're not moved in yet, but it's a friend that's about to live with an engaged couple. Well, we were both like, don't you want to live alone? Like now that you're getting engaged or whatever, it's like a different dynamic. I don't know why it'd be like less weird if they were just dating, but like there's something about marriage that's like, okay, well, you can't live here now. Yeah, you got to go. I understand like rents and everything's super expensive these days. So like it could be like, oh, help us financially. So I get that as well. When you're getting married or in a relationship, you like a lot of just like you and that person time. And when you have a roommate, you don't have that. Exactly. So there was a second news article and this one was about one of their court dates that was ruled as a mistrial. And basically in this article, it says that they had to reschedule the court date because in the middle of it, her attorney claimed that he was now a witness in the case and could no longer serve as her attorney. This is like <laughs> wait, an ep- wait a really long time to make that one come out. Like, geez. No, literally, this is turning into an episode of like Law and Order SVU or something. So now I'm assuming the attorney was also at the house. Like, yeah, it makes, like it, chilling. It makes you wonder, what did the attorney see? Or what if it's the roommate was hooking up with that guy in the relationship and then that person brought the attorney home and so the dude's upset that that person brought someone home and tried to kick him out and, and so there we go. This is just turning into the messiest web of literally <laughs> what the hell happened. But I'm just yeah. so invested because it's like, I don't know, it's the kind of true crime that interests me, hence the reason I have this podcast. I don't know. I don't want to listen to somebody getting like severed and chopped up in a million different ways, but hooking up with your roommate? Let me hear about that. What's that audio? The, her arms were cut off. Her legs were cut off. <laughs> was cut off. Yeah. You don't want that. You are. The roommate was hooking up with the other person. We should start our own audio for that. Oh, that could be your whole thing. And then he separated his mother-in-law. <laughs> and then he ran over to Europe. <laughs> anyway, so basically, I got in contact with the wife in this court case, and she says she's now free of all of those charges. So I'm wildly fascinated to see what happened. How do we go from like all these accusations to just nothing? Crazy. Makes you wonder, what was the inciting event that kicked it all off? Let's find out when we break down this week's breakup. So I met my ex-husband when we were 11 years old. We met at church. We stayed friends all over the years, Um, even though we ended up like living apart. We stayed friends. I got married really young. I ended up getting pregnant and having a baby. We were together only a really short time. So that was kind of a smaller blip on my radar there. My ex and I are still just kind of friends, still very much like family. He still comes with me to a lot of events and stuff. And it kind of naturally just turned into a relationship. We started dating and we'd been together, I want to say maybe a year or so. He actually took me back to the church where we met, convinced me to sneak in and proposed there in the sanctuary. It was so romantic. From there, I ended up quitting my job as a hairstylist to stay home with my daughter. And then we ended up having another child together, another little girl. Yeah, we got married. Everything's just kind of settled into this very like two kids, little house, stay at home mom. And I thought very, very highly of my husband. We were really, really happy. I kind of, after a little while, as my kids got into the less infanty stages, kind of started to miss working. I've had a job since I was 16. I've always been kind of independent. I've always been doing something or been in school. And I wasn't doing anything except for staying home with my kids, which is a ton. It's a huge thing. It's a giant job and harder than probably 
literally anyone that's ever paid that I've had. At that time, I was ready to go and do something else. At that point, I decided I wanted to do something like a lot of our friends and go into like public service. And I decided to apply at the police department. So I started going through that hiring process. And after about eight months, I ended up being hired as one of only four women. So during this time, I met a really close friend. I met this one girl on my roller derby team. We got really close really fast. We just kind of latched on to each other really quickly. We had a lot in common. She ended up moving kind of just a few months after I met her. My husband and I, because we had kind of this very natural friendship that evolved into a relationship, like we were kind of used to just having all of the same friends. That wasn't super weird. I remember one day I was sitting on the couch and my husband was like, like, look at this meme or look at this funny thing. I was like, oh yeah, that's funny. He's like, yeah, I just sent it to Sarah. And I'm like, you sent it to, what do you mean you sent it to her? And he's like, oh, like we text and stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. I would be weird about that too. I don't know. You don't want to gatekeep your friends, but it is like yeah. a little bit more of a touchy subject when it's like a female friend that was your friend first. You're kind of like, right. they kind of formed a friendship. They texted all the time. And looking at it now, that seems really weird, but I was just kind of, I trusted this person. So it didn't even, it would have never occurred to me to go through his phone or to think any of that was weird. You know, so we just kind of maintained that relationship over time. I did kind of notice them becoming closer, but it was nothing happened that really raised a red flag. And she ended up messaging me one day and being like, you should hand the kids off to your dude and you should come visit me. Come have a girls weekend. And I'm like, sure, totally. That I don't know if I can do that, but let me try. And I asked my guy and he's like, no, go. Like I'll arrange for stuff for the kids and you go have a weekend. So I flew to where she was. She used like her points or whatever to like give me a ticket. So this is a free trip to go visit her and I'm stoked. I get a weekend away and I went to visit her. We had a lot of fun, ate food, went to breweries. We had so much fun. But this one evening we were sitting and watching a movie. Like we're sitting on the couch and just kind of like snuggled up like ladies sit and snug. This was nothing out of the ordinary, but it seemed like she kind of got, we kind of got closer and things kind of got oddly like flirty and there was like some hand holding. We had been drinking a little bit. So I was just kind of like, I, I really didn't think much of it, but I kind of felt weird, kind of felt weird about it. The next morning I definitely was like, that was very, I'm in a relationship and uh, I am bisexual, but I'm also extremely like monogamous. One does not affect the other. Very much based my relationships off who people are, but like when I'm in a relationship, I'm in a relationship. It's pretty hard to get my attention elsewhere. And if I my attention is going elsewhere, I'm kind of assuming there's something wrong in my relationship. Maybe I'm like, why am I thinking like this? I, I absolutely like didn't blame either of us. I was just kind of like, oh God, what is this? What are we doing here? And she and I didn't really talk about it much, but I did tell my husband when I went home. I was like, listen, this got kind of weird and I feel awful about it. I'm like, you're my best friend. You're my everything. You're my world. I, I don't know what's going on with me or maybe there's something going on with us subconsciously that I'm having some issue with because this just is weird, very weird. And I expected my husband to be extremely hurt because I would have been hurt, extremely hurt. And it did not hurt his feelings. In fact, he was like, oh, if you have feelings for her, then we'll work around it. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Define work around. What does that even mean? I, I don't know. And like, I'm not going to sit here and say like, those are the exact words he said, but the, the oh, yeah. it was kind of like, we can work something out. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And he kind of at this time, like something that was going on was my husband had been very supportive of me going through my whole police academy hiring process. And he'd been really great about that. And like, you can do it. He was very supportive until I got the job. When I left like the interview where I was hired, basically what he said to me was, oh, I didn't think you'd actually get it. I never thought you'd get it. And he kind of like laughed while he said it. it felt like I'd been slapped in the face a 
little bit. Another thing he said to me, he was they were, he was basically like, well, I can see through your shirt. So that probably helped. That hurt bad. And then I'm also embarrassed. Were they, was my shirt? <laughs> that was a cheap shot. It was. It got uglier. He's like, well, you're just the statistic. They have to hire a certain amount of women. So you're still, no matter what you are, you are still the lowest. You might be the best of the women, but you're still just less. And I'm sitting here just going like, I'm never going to be enough for you, no matter what. Like so many other things just kind of walked that red flag off because it was weird. It was like, it was out of character for him, but it was coming from this familiar person. So I almost like didn't, me now that I would, you would have been dumped. But this um, is your husband. And like you said, this you, is my husband. Yeah. You res- yeah. You're not just going to like dump your husband because he made one comment. There were some other comments during like arguments we'd had about like, oh, you make enough money now. You can leave me. And I'm like, I would never leave you. Why would I leave you? I thought this was only going to improve our situation. It's less money stress. Like we both have our own stuff. This is healthy. There was never an agreement that I was going to be a stay at home mother forever. It was just what made sense at the time while the kids were really small and the kids are getting bigger. So that's all going on. Now I've had this weird flirty interaction with this woman I adore. Now I'm in this situation. I'm starting to notice some like weird stuff between my husband and my friend. After my husband starts hinting around like an open relationship and if I have something going on with her, that doesn't matter because to him that's different because X, Y, and Z. I don't know. He's making these weird justifications about it. And at that time, he's talking about me and my friend. He's not a part of this. He's still over here, right with me. And he's talking about me and her. I don't think that's something I'm comfortable with. I think you're really misreading this. I think this was a weird flirty moment that maybe speaks to some sort of issue I'm having, but this isn't about real feelings for someone else. He's suggesting that you have like a side relationship with Sarah. That was kind of the vibe I was getting. This isn't normal. And I am about to go to police academy. And because of that, I have to live this very pretty life. I can't have crazy stuff going on. I have two kids. I'm not interested in doing something like that or complicating our relationship. And so I start noticing him like kind of leaving hints around about polyamorous relationships. He wants to watch the show Big Love. That's a show about a polyamorous family, a polygamous family, actually, that was kind of kicked out of the Mormon church. And, you know, they're kind of living and hiding very sister wives. So he puts the show on and I don't really think much of it. We always watch like shows in the evening. He puts the show on. I don't really equate the two, but he starts very much talking about like, look how loving their relationship is. Look at how well this works for them. And I'm sitting here going, this doesn't work well. This is a nightmare. I love how he didn't suggest sister wives because that is like a train wreck right now. He's literally blowing up in their faces. I'm sure there are successful polyamorous relationships, but sometimes it really does not work out well. Exactly. The thing about polyamorous relationships, I think is it's, that sounds very, very complicated. That takes a lot of very, a lot of trust and a lot of balance and a lot of things that quite frankly, I just really wasn't willing to give. And at the time, I'm not totally putting like two and two together. I had so much tunnel vision into like work at the time. And I know that's a big part of it that was driving him to do this and driving him crazy as I feel like some of the attention was taken away and he was trying to maybe redirect it back to the relationship. And that's kind of how I read it a little bit at the time. Like, are you feeling abandoned? Are you feeling insecure? Because you think I'm going to leave you. I don't want him to feel these things. I'm feeling a lot of guilt for kind of going back to work and not being home, paying attention to him. The day after I have that conversation with my husband, where I tell him about what happened when I was visiting Sarah, I get a message from her with like a screenshot with a message she had from my husband saying, if you want her, go for it. The words go for it were definitely there. (laughs) Your honor, I have screenshots. (laughs) I I do. I always do. (laughs) That was there. I remember it so specifically, just like being like, hello, hi, I'm a person. I get to have a part in this.
this conversation? Like, what is this? And I went to her and she seemed kind of uncomfortable. And I was also uncomfortable and horrified. You know, I'm reading these emotions through text messages, but like, I'm uncomfortable at least. And I'm like, this is so inappropriate. I am so sorry. I don't know why he's, I, I did tell him about that interaction you and I had. I felt like I had to, because this is my relationship. This is my marriage. That is not what I implied to him. And I am sorry. You know, there's a whole aspect of this, like I'll never have, which is like the conversations between them. I never really went and looked, but like, it seemed like they were having one conversation and I was having another. I was very easily influenced at this time, especially by my husband, because I've got all this guilt. Again, I adore this man. He's been a safe person my entire life. He has been my hero. He's always been there. He's always picked up the phone. I didn't know what life was without him. He's kind of like very much kind of pushing me to like pursue a relationship with her. And he starts talking about how like he thinks she's stunning and he has feelings for her too. And what if this is meant to be? And what if we're supposed to be? Maybe we have two people. Maybe we both have two soulmates. And I'm like, soulmates? And this is getting so heavy so fast. Even she lives in a different state. He and I are here. We're like a good 20 hours away from each other. Not road trip status. He's talking about having these deep feelings for her. And he's like, and you have feelings for him. And I'm very confused because I'm just kind of like, you know, I do. I care about this woman so deeply. But just because I'm bisexual and care deeply, I, I can still have normal female relationships with friends. Like we don't have to, it doesn't have to be like that. But it starts getting confusing because I am bisexual. I can have feelings for women. And now I have him kind of like, no, I see it. And he's kind of encouraging it. And she seems to have those feelings too. And she's now approaching me with these conversations of like wanting this deeper thing. And now I am just kind of in it. And I kind of start to get sucked in with them a little bit too. I'm kind of like, okay, if this is a thing you want, if this is a thing, maybe those feelings are there. Maybe there is something here. But I still to this day probably couldn't tell you like what I was thinking or what I was feeling. I got very just caught up in like he's happy again and he's kind of drawn back in here with me and this thing. And if this person maybe made our relationship come back to life again, maybe this isn't a bad thing. And I'm like logicking it in my head and I'm by no means a close-minded person. I am sure this could work for someone. Even if it's just for a chunk of their life and it's wonderful, then that is something successful. That's fine. I thought this would be a train wreck from day one and I entertained it with them and I very much like let myself get caught up for a little while. And then we, I guess, acted on it. They decide that we're going to meet halfway between our two locations. So we all meet up at this beautiful hotel. We all go and we meet there and we all have our first threesome experience together. So we're just there in this magical fantasy for like a couple of days. There was a three-way encounter and that all happened. The whole thing was very weird and emotionally like overwhelming. We saw my sister while we were there. She was visiting my other sister who was living there at the time. I think my sister was visibly like something's going on and like visibly like weirded out by the entire thing. I was just like so uncomfortable in so many of these situations and just kind of like I look back and I'm like how did I how did I make it through just the cringe factor that was this weekend? Um, I was so uncomfortable. We get through it. My ex-husband he's very sold on this whole thing at this point and he's now talking like she should move up here. We should all just be a thruple is the word they loved and all of this and I'm still having absolutely a lot of feelings and emotions here. At one point I'm just kind of like sure if, if this relationship is like what's going to make you happy if this is what's going to get us through this if this is I don't want to lose my friend I have this like awesome relationship with her that's now confused with this awesome relationship I used to have with my husband 
husband, but that's getting weirder. And we are fighting more and more at home. And it seems like kind of any time I show any resistance to this relationship with her and him, the fights are escalating. They are getting scary. There was a lot of like, I'd try to kind of bring up like valid things. Like what about, you know, we have kids kind of too small to know what's going on now, but they're going to. I'd bring something like that up. And it would turn into a massive blowout fight. And it would always kind of go back to me being the whole problem. Kind of, she's so much better than you. And what if she knew exactly how awful you were? Do you think she'd still be your friend? Do you think she'd still care about you? Do you think she'd still want to do all of this? I'm in love with her. Like she's a part of this now too. We are a three-way equal relationship. And he wants her to move here and she wants to move here. He, we, I consented to this, decided that she was going to move here. I kind of just went along with this and was like, sure, she can move here. She already lived here once. This will just be a roommate, but weird. He decides he's going to drive down and pick her up. And the night before, I remember I was kind of like, you know, this is like our last night, just you and me ever. That kind of really started to take over. Like I was starting to panic. Like I don't want that to happen. I don't want her to come here. I'm having this whole like thing in my head and I cry to him and I say like, just don't go. At least take the time to think this through more. This is all happening really fast. Like we're talking, this is like a two or three month period that all of this has gone down in. And now I'm in academy at the same time as all of this. So I'm just a giant ball of stress. I don't have time. I barely get to take a shower alone. There's usually a kid in the shower. You know, I go to academy about eh, 6.30, 7 in the morning to sometimes 6.30 or 7 at night, like depending on what's going on. Um, my weekends, I'm cleaning and trying to put my house back together and spend time with my children and also, you know, just have fun with like my partner. I have Sarah calling me constantly. Like she wants to talk at four in the morning and she wants to talk as soon as I get off. So I don't have time to even sit in my car and like listen to the radio. Like I just have someone talking to me or touching me or needing me all the time. He's basically like, yeah, no, she's she's coming. I'm going to get her. I'm getting on that plane. I'm going to fly down. I'm going to drive her up. And he does. Now she's here with us and she's moved in. And my children have been moved into one bedroom so she can have a bedroom in the t- my tiny, tiny house. She has to sleep in my bed every night. There are three of us. At first, we just had a queen bed. And eventually I was like, no. And I bought a king bed. And so, but I had to sleep in the middle. That was a rule. I wasn't allowed to sleep on the edge. It had to be me in the middle. I was like this weird common factor in this whole thing. And that I didn't agree to. And it's very clear, like for some reason, I am this pivotal person in this relationship. And I feel like it's all the weights kind of being put on me to keep it together because I guess I brought her into this. How you explain this to your children. So they don't really see that. There's not like a ton of PDA. Keep in mind, like my kids are like, like toddlers. My husband, he wanted them to like have two mommies. I could tell that's like the direction he was pushing this in. He wanted me and her to be equals. I was like no longer his wife. We were like both on the same like equal level. He would swear up and down right now that this was supposed to be like an even three-way partnership. But no, this was him controlling the situation and he wanted like two people. But he kept kind of playing it off like this is what you wanted, remember? In a lot of ways. And I'm like, well, I agreed, but I did not feel like I had a choice in a lot of this. I felt like it was just kind of happening and I was there. A lot of it's my fault for not setting that boundary and being like, I, this isn't enough for me, but I didn't know how to do that at the time. This is not something that was in Cosmo magazine. I didn't read this article. How to handle your husband when he's pulling relational blackmail on you. Yes, that. So I'm rolling around in like my ball of guilt and now she lives here and I'm getting yelled at for like everything. I'm getting yelled at because I put her knife in the dishwasher. I've never had nice knives before. I didn't know you couldn't put the damn thing in the dishwasher. So I put it in the dishwasher and 
that became a giant fight. It would just be little tiny things that they would latch onto. And I kind of felt like I was being policed in my own home. Like I couldn't do anything. I didn't have, I didn't have a second for myself. I'm just going to academy and I'm coming home and we're fighting. This is the time I'm kind of realizing very much like I am not emotionally invested here. Like I have very much kind of just followed him unquestioningly. I'm like, this isn't how a relationship feels. This isn't how loving someone feels. Any romance or like honeymoon period of this wore off within weeks. I'm starting to want my husband back. I'm starting to want my life back. And academy, we're getting close to graduation. And after academy, you go out into field training. You go out and you're a cop and you're driving around and you're dealing with people in the worst moments of their lives. And you can't be having your own emotional crises and running out helping people with theirs. And I got to like just a breaking point. There started some violence entered the relationship. There were some weird kind of push and shove scary incidents. My keys were taken away from me. I wasn't allowed to leave my home. Um, and this is very much downplaying. It, it was a bad situation. There were some really scary days with her and my husband. And just with it, any boundary I set would trigger just massive fallout. One day, I came home from academy and I told my husband and I told her, I can't do this anymore. I remember this was kind of an awful moment, but it was like a big breaking point. I was just leaving academy one day and I remember I was sitting at a stoplight and it's raining and like I got country music on the radio. It's a pistol Annie's shout out. I'm just like, I would rather drive into traffic than go home right now. I found myself staring into this intersection with like 18 wheelers going through. I'm like, if I got in a bad enough car accident to like put me in the hospital so I could have have a few days off that would be fantastic just enough to like get everyone to leave me alone no one can be there visiting me just give me some drugs and put me to sleep for like a few days I just and I'm like this is you you can't live like this we've been through so much therapy and we want to drive through like this intersection like I'm like I have everything right now I have this job I have two amazing kids I had this amazing relationship with my husband like you're gonna be a cop this is so cool this new addition to the relationship has just completely derailed everything this isn't the life I wanted. And I just was like, nope, that's it. I can't do this anymore. If I am thinking about such awful things, if I'm willing to hurt myself, like to remove myself from the situation that something has to change right now. And I went home and I said, I'm done. Here's the deal. I will leave if you'd like, or she can leave, but we are not staying here together. At that point, I'm like, I don't need any of this. I told my husband, like, I love you. I want to be with you. I think we can save this. I think I can't do this crazy thruple thing. I had different plans and I'd like them to include you, but if they can't, whatever. I told Sarah, I adore you, but this is not something I can do. This went so weird. This was just the most bizarre three-day period of my life. Sarah falls apart. She falls apart. She's just like beside herself. My ex-husband, he's like, I'm going to take her for a walk. We're going to figure this out. I understand. I hear you. And they come back and he's like, okay, she's going to go home. Like, I'm here. I'm with you. We're going to, we're going to do this. I'm like, okay, weird. That was really easy. Don't like that. I don't like how easy that was. And so the next day she's supposed to be kind of packing her stuff and I come home from academy and she's still there. She was supposed to be done by now. It's like 8.30 at night. It was a really late day because we're coming up on our last couple weeks of academy. We're doing all our testing. She's still there and there's like a whole thing where I'm like, listen, it is 9.30 at night. My children are at their parents or at their grandparents. So I have the night to myself and she's here. I'm like, you really need to leave my house. You were supposed to do this like, you know, during the day while I wasn't here, I'd like to go to bed now. And she's walking around slamming doors, just being crazy. And what was interesting at that point, so I told her, I'm going to go get in the shower. You need to finish up what you're doing and please like leave for the night. She already had a hotel. She'd had all day. I was like, but if you're going to slam stuff and be loud on purpose, like you're not welcome to be here. 
I go and I get in the shower and I come out and there's two cops there in my hallway. I'm in a towel. There are two cops in my hallway and I'm just like, can I help you? They're standing there looking about as shocked as I am. And she comes walking past them, kind of shoves past one of the cops and goes, you will not threaten me. And I just like, I, I probably just looked stupid. I was just like, what are you talking about? I, I don't know what she expected at that moment, but she kind of like deflated. I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, officers, what can I do for you? They're just like, um, you're a, I was like, yeah, can I get dressed actually real quick? And they're like, yeah, you do that. And so like, I went and like got like a shirt and some pants and like a robe and came back out. And I'm like, what's the problem? And they're like, she says that you're threatening her if she doesn't leave. I was like, okay, well, none of that's true. I have asked her to leave my home. I'm really trying to avoid going through any type of like eviction or anything dramatic here, but she was slamming things and doing damage to my property. I'm just asking her to be quiet and be on her way. She's in the process of moving out. And they kind of just advised me on stuff, some stuff. They're just like, if it gets crazy, like you can go through an eviction process if you want. I'm like, I really don't think any of that's necessary. I really don't understand why you're here. I'm going to be honest. And they're just kind of like, we don't really either. And they just kind of left. And at that point, she's like furious and she leaves. The next day I wake up and I go to Academy and I'm telling my husband last night was really crazy with all this. Like if she keeps going through and like, and is doing damage and acting like this, like I can't have this when my children are home, I will get a restraining order. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this, but I will get a restraining order. And so he's like, yeah, totally. Like I understand that's out of control. I'm going to talk to her and this and that. We're going to, I'm going to help her get moved out today and we'll be done. I'm like, great. I go to Academy. I don't have my phone during Academy. It has to stay in my car. I'm just running around doing almost cop stuff. My instructor comes over to me and he's like, and I had told him about the incident the night before because I had had contact with the police. I was like, I feel like he should know that I have this crazy stuff going on. And he appreciated me telling him and said he hadn't heard anything and it doesn't sound like anything I need to worry about. So he comes over to me and he's like, hey, I need you to be the you I know you are and I need you to come with me and we have to go down to police headquarters. And I was like, okay, why? He's like, okay, so all that stuff you told me last night, I think she's taking charges out against you. And I'm just floored. I'm just like, that's not funny. That's not funny. And he's like, if you're going to cry, do it in the car. Don't let the guy see you. Go get in the car. I didn't even know what to do. I did the only right thing to do. And I calmly went and got in his car. He drove me to police headquarters. And when I get to police headquarters, they tell me, yeah, they took out some warrants on you. We don't know what they're for yet. There's nothing we can do about this right now. You know how this works. They're going to get their warrants. Go get your bond. Get out. We'll figure it out. You're going to be okay. I'm not a huge fan of spicy foods, but I do like a bit of spice in other areas of my life. Reality TV fights, make it spicy. My margaritas, make them very spicy. And when it comes to the spice cabinet you keep beside your bed, you got to have a wide variety of spices to keep things heated up. If you've been looking for some more flavor to add to your life behind closed doors, Adam and Eve can help you bring the heat with some fun new items to turn up the temp between you and someone else. Or if it's a single girl summer, there's plenty of options for those of you riding solo this year. Adam and Eve is offering 50% off just about any item and they'll include free shipping and rush processing so you can spice things up ASAP. And you don't got to worry about your neighbors noticing your delivery. Adam and Eve ships things out in discreet packaging. So you and Deborah down the street don't have to make awkward eye contact when you get your mail. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item and select just enter offer code Abby at checkout. That's A-B-B-Y at adamandeve.com. This exclusive offer is specific to this podcast. So be sure to use code Abby to get your discount code Abby. If you're like me and the second you get home from work, you are ravenous. You are going to love these new meals I've been trying out from Factor. Factor has delicious ready to eat meals that you can make in two minutes with pre-prepared chef crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. It's so convenient. 
convenient. I have like grocery store ADHD. Anytime I go to like Publix or something, I'm buying everything. And then I come home with no meals. Whereas Factor, it's all the meal prep done for you. You've got 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. If you want to get started today and have a feel good week of meals ready to go, head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off. I feel like there's two types of people in the world. The people that get super excited when the temps hit the 80s and the people who are like, holy crap, it's bathing suit weather and I do not feel my best. The warmer it is, the more dialed in I feel like I need to be with my nutrition. But I got to be honest with you, I hate cooking. Do I cook for myself and feel great? Or do I get takeout and eat a bunch of crap that's just honestly expensive and not that great for you? That's why I really enjoyed trying out Factor. Factor is a meal service that requires no prep. All you got to do is heat them up in the microwave for like two minutes and they're chef crafted. So they're actually designed to meet your nutrition goals, whether you're trying to watch your calories, get more protein in or follow a keto diet. There are 35 different meals and 60 add-ons to choose from with breakfast, lunches, dinners, and even desserts. Head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I expect to be charged with like a mis- a misdemeanor assault charge because there had been an incident where she had tried to keep me in a room against my will. She was like insisting on talking to me. I had been trying to sleep. She had like pulled the covers off of me a bunch of times and I had gotten up out of the bed and tried to leave the room and she had blocked the door. So I had tried to go out the window. I'm like path of least resistance. I'll go out the window. I'm on the first floor. I will out crazy you. So I tried to go out the do- out the window and she like grabs me by my hair. I like fell backwards and I like got up and I tried to go out the door and she had blocked the door. I was very careful not to hurt her, but I just kind of muscled the door open and slid my body through it while like screaming for my husband who was like, work it out yourself. Sure. This is normal. This is normal. This is one of the big incidents that made me want to leave. So I'm thinking she's mad now that I'm kicking her out and she's taken out an assault charge on me. The charges that were filed against me, they weren't from my police department. They were from a police department in the city I actually lived in, which is one city over. So they show up and they're like, we have warrants for your arrest. You're under arrest. And I'm like, okay, could you tell me what I'm charged with, please? And they list off five felonies, including malicious wounding, abduction, discharge of a firearm in a residence. There were a couple others. These are all very serious charges. Several of them carry what are called mandatory minimums, meaning if you're found guilty, there's an automatic five-year prison sentence associated with them. So you can see how once we start stacking several of them on top of each other, you're looking at 15 to 20 years in jail. So I, at this point, it's like the movies where like everything zooms in and your body goes cold, but you're also sweating and I'm just like numb. They handcuffed me and my captain looked at me and he said, just keep your head up. You'll be okay. And I'm like, you don't believe that. And um, I get in the car and I asked him something and he said, well, in a little bit, we're going to go talk to the detective first. And I said, I'm not talking to anyone without an an attorney. And he's like, okay, you don't have to, but they're going to go in and ask you and you can either say yes or no. You know, we're going through the motions. And so I go and they put me in a room that's supposed to be soundproof. They're not. I'm sitting in the soundproofed room and everyone's whispering outside. I hear like a bunch of people whispering outside. 
outside, but I can't really hear what they're saying. And then suddenly one of the voices gets louder and they say, oh, we've already got her. This is just the icing on the cake. And that, for some reason, awoke something like primal in me. It just made me so furious. I was like, I bet you don't. And that was and that was maybe not the best gamble to make. But I was like, I bet you don't. I did something that no one should ever do. And when they came in, I signed away my rights and said, okay, let's talk. I didn't say anything. I basically told myself, like, you know, I can invoke my rights at any time. I know how this works because I've worked for a police department. I'm, I'm very aware of my rights and where they start and end. So I decide I want to know know what they think they have. So I sat down and she kind of tried to chit chat with me and I was like, well, what are the basis of these charges? And she's like, well, your husband said, and I'm like, whoa, 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 my husband? And she's like, yeah, what did you think? I was like, well, not this. My husband, what? She's like, your husband came down to the station. He filled out this report. And I was like, he has a report. And she showed me a typed report. And I was like, mm, uh-uh. I want to see a handwritten report right now. I want to see my husband's handwriting. I don't believe you. My husband would never do this. I'm sitting there like what charges what has happened she agrees to show me a handwritten statement she shows me the statement he made and it's definitely his handwriting he has like serial killer handwriting it's like extremely recognizable I see it's his handwriting and I start reading it and I am reading a story that has things I own in it it has my gun in it it has facts about like my house and that's about like the end of the truth of the matter in any of this there's this crazy story about me assaulting my husband about me holding him at gunpoint not allowing him to leave like it's like something out of maybe like euphoria some crazy situation and I'm like just nauseous as I'm reading this because I'm like this is big this is a hell of an accusation to make against somebody and the thing is though I'm reading this story and going you can't possibly have proof of this because it didn't happen there's nothing to have so when I read that statement and I realized that my husband was the one who took the charges out against me I said I'd like my lawyer now you know I watched the disappointments flood their face and they took me to jail because of the nature of my charges. It was assumed I wouldn't get bond. Didn't get bond at the time. I was just left at the jail with the option to file an appeal so I could ask for bond. Oh my gosh. So are you terrified in this moment? I went through the initial panic of like, oh my God, my kids, my kids, my kids, you know, what are they thinking and what is going on? Called my dad in that moment. At that time, I'm very much panicking. I'm watching my entire like future melt in front of me. Like I know I'm looking at a mountain. I know that there is no easy way out of the situation I'm in. The only thing I can do is is just move through each motion. It's day by day. It's kind of minute by minute, actually. So I called my dad. And when I called my dad, I didn't get the reaction I was expecting. I was kind of like, I was like, hey, dad, I'm in jail. I just went right for it Um, when I called him. And he's like, I know your husband told me. I'm like, what do you mean you know he told you? What I don't know at the time is that the day before, my husband and Sarah had held an intervention style meeting with my parents and with my husband's mother. He has told them all that I'm having a mental health crisis, which at this point is true. But, you know, at that point, everyone is shocked. They're like, we thought everything was great. We just saw y'all on Sunday for dinner. She's at Academy. This is happening. And he's like, nope, she wants to kill herself. She's so unhappy. She's hearing things. He said, I was hearing things. She's so depressed. Like she's doing horribly. Like we have to get her admitted somewhere or on some medication or something. I absolutely struggled with depression when I was younger. And I mean, kind of who hasn't. Um, So they're kind of, we're a very mental health forward family. At that time, they're kind of shocked and they saw this as like, oh my God, like, is she okay? They're kind of worried about me too. So husband tells them we're going to get what's called an emergency custody order. We're going to go to the magistrate and tell them that she's going to hurt herself. And then 
they'll take her to a hospital. There's truth that you can do that to an extent, but it's a really high bar to just put someone in a mental institution. You can't just grab people and be like, she wants to kill herself and like toss them in there. There's a whole assessment and all these things. So my father is telling me like, no, we all talked about it. He said that you're not doing well and we're going to put you and and he's going to help you get help. So just please just do what the doctors say. We just want the best for you. And I'm so I'm sitting here and everyone else has a different script. I've got two stories, one where I'm a crazy maniac, you know, attacking people. And this other one where I'm apparently my life is falling apart and I'm hearing voices and I'm like not doing well. And so I, I now have two stories, neither of which I've heard. So it's like everyone else got a different script, but we're all at the same movie and it's a mess. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, I need you to come to this arraignment where they're going to give me a lawyer so that you can understand the reality of what's actually happening here. He's kind of just like, okay, crazy. All right, look, we just want you to be okay. And they have every reason to believe my husband. They've known him since he was a little boy. They had the same rapport of him that I do to an extent. They were aware of the polyamorous relationship situation. At that point, I tell my dad, like, you can come to court. You're going to see for yourself. I'm telling the truth here. And I get off the phone and now I'm just in jail. And at that point, I'm calming myself down. So the next day, my dad comes to court. He finds out I am, in fact, being completely honest with him. Now we're in a whole different thing where they're like, okay, we're going to talk to your lawyer. We're going to figure this out. Just do what you're supposed to do. I'm horrified. I am horrified. At that time, I had to be in solitary confinement because that was all over the news. And they were worried like, oh, if everyone knows your law enforcement, even though I'm not, you could be. It was for my safety. And they keep telling me that like it makes it better, but it doesn't because I am in a tiny box alone with my thoughts right now. And I'm falling apart. What is solitary confinement like? All white room, all black room, no windows? It's, It's all white. There's like a little tiny window. Realistically, like in my situation, I wasn't like a harm to myself. So I was in a regular cell. But like if you're in general population, you don't just sit in your cell. There's a huge room. There's TVs. You can have friends and like talk on the phone. There's socialization. You can have books there. You can take classes. It's not great. It was awful. But like there was stuff to do to help you pass the time. The first like five days, I'm just sitting like that alone. I don't really get to talk to anybody because I just have to kind of stay in my cell away from the other inmates and stuff. And after a few days and after the news stories have kind of like run their cycle a little bit, I ended up asking for a supervisor and I told them I can't sit in this room alone. I want to go into general population. They're like, that's a dangerous, terrible idea. And I was like, well, I would kind of rather be stabbed at this point than sit in this room any longer. And I told them that and she thought it was funny and she let me out and she put me in general population. And at that point, I won't lie, there was part of me that was kind of like, you know what, this is quiet. I could kind of gather my thoughts and process what had been going on the last few months. You know, I was talking to my attorney and I had told him my story. It was kind of funny. He was like, this is a great story. And I'm just like, this isn't your job, sir. He's like, no, listen, this sucks. But like everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. And at this point, I'm sitting here like it looks like he framed you for this. And I'm kind of like, that sounds so crazy. He said that he said it to the news. He's like, I think these charges were made up. I think that this is because of this relationship that she was in. She had just left this relationship. He told the news this, which was very cool of him, actually. I didn't know that till recently, but he believed me from day one. He was preparing one hell of a defense for being like a young public defender. This guy, like, I hope he'll he'll be in Congress soon, I'm sure. He's amazing. At this point, I'm hearing the girl, Sarah, she had gone home. She left him, like, immediately and went home. That's crazy because it almost seems like they were trying to get rid of you. That's very much what I'm thinking. Basically, at the point where I'm in general population, 
population. I made some really good friends. I was kind of feeling okay. And I was hearing some kind of crazy rumors that my husband was spreading. He was saying I attacked another inmate, all these things that like, I know I didn't do because I'm here. And at that point, I kind of realized if I get out right now, like, what am I even going home to? What What is my life now? I met with my attorney and I said, I don't want to go out on bond. I don't want to ask for bond. I don't want to ask to be released from jail. I want to stay here and wait for the trial, which should have been months at that point. It should have only been a few months. And that sounds crazy, but I thought maybe since he was being crazy and since everything was crazy, maybe if I just kept with that trend and for once in my life sat down and shut up, maybe it would work itself out. And so I settled in and had a routine and friends and I read 22 books. Yeah, 22 books. And I just chilled in jail until I started getting letters from Sarah. I start getting letters from Sarah and I find out that while she has left, she has left and gone back to her home, her and my husband are very much still like involved in something. There's still something going on here. And what my attorney expressed to me was he thinks maybe to an extent, he thinks that it was my husband's plan to do this and to set me up so that he could be with her. We thought at that point, maybe it backfired and she left him because he starts sending me messages. In jail, you have a phone account. So it's like you put your number in and so you can receive messages to that account. And he was leaving me messages. He was sending me care packages. I thought they were coming from my parents, but they were from my husband, it turned out. I learned that from listening to the messages. And between the letters with Sarah and the messages my husband left me, I decided why don't I just see what he has to say? I'm going to call him back. This is already chaos. It'll be recorded. I'll have proof like of anything he says. I called him and he was freaking out basically about the whole thing being in the news when I called him. It's the first thing he said, not even like, hey, sorry, I had you arrested and framed for this awful crime. He was like, they're saying mean things about me in the news and they were making fun of him. He like apologizes. He kind of tries to play up that they felt like I was down spiraling and that that I was unhealthy and that it was so crazy for me to try to leave that relationship that there must be something wrong with me. So they tried to get help, but the police went crazy and just filed all these charges. And I, as knowing how police work, know that that's not what happened. But I kind of start going with what he's saying. And I'm like, okay, then fix it. If this was a mistake, then fix it. You can fix it. And so he starts emailing my attorney. He sends him all these messages and he's like, I made it up. There's a bunch of other stuff that happened and this is why this looks like this. I was just trying to get her mental health help and the police took this and ran with it. Just blames the whole thing on the police. And my defense attorney's like, well, if you want to come and testify for her by all means. My husband is basically like, if you want to maybe like think about giving this whole thing another try, basically, if you're not going to get me in trouble for all this crap, if you're not going to make it a big deal, like I can, I can try to get you out. And so I did what my husband called it all the time. He said, just drink the Kool-Aid and like, I'll get you out. Just drink the Kool-Aid, which is a Jim, Jim Jones reference in case you're wondering. It's a reference to the Jonestown massacre. So basically just go with it. Just do what I say and I'll get you out. I went with it. He gets me a bond hearing. He comes and he says, I want her to come home. This was taken way too far. This wasn't what I wanted to happen. And you can't just drop domestic assault charges. There are laws that literally make it so you can't do that. They have to go through the motions and that's to protect victims who a lot of the time end up going back into these relationships. Really hard to leave an abusive relationship a lot of the time. People are financially dependent on each other. There's a lot of factors along with the emotions and they'll go back. The law is trying to prevent people from going going back and getting hurt. They force the court to hear these cases to make sure that the right decisions are being made.
made and that victims aren't being coerced out of testifying and stuff like that. So basically, I'm going to get out of jail. Sarah is still going to be in our life. We're just going to go back to normal and I'm going to go back to being a stay-at-home housewife just like he liked it in the first place. And basically, it'll be like my whole life and career never happened. I'm nauseous thinking about you going back and basically emotionally being held at gunpoint. That's a good way to put it, the like emotionally held at gunpoint. That's kind of how I felt because, you know, part of me is going, this was a really unhealthy relationship. Literally look at what it did to your life. You're just going to go back. But then another part of me says, you know, him doing this is going to get rid of my charges. I can make sure my kids are safe. I can get out of here. Maybe it's time to be brave and go deal with the reality of what life looks like outside. We have to come out of the bunker after the explosion now and like see the mess. I get out and I go home. When I get out of jail, Sarah is there. She has flown back to see me. She has flown back and I'm just literally drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm like, sure, whatever you say, honey. At first, they didn't want me to have a cell phone. I wasn't allowed access to our money. I could have $100 a week for food for my kids and I. Turns out while I was in academy, so I was the one who ran the house, who paid the bills, who did all the things. He didn't do any of that. So came out, we're behind on our mortgage. His truck gets repossessed the week I get out. My dad helped him pay my bond to get me out, but he gave all the cash to him and said, you're putting this in your name. It's going to be proven that you bailed her out of jail. And now all the money is gone. And I'm not allowed to touch the bills. I'm not allowed to pay the bills. I'm not allowed to help with anything. I am transferred $100 to my checking account, which is now separate from his. And that is how I have to live my life. That's almost like a jail of its own. I could almost see you being like, at least I had freedom. At least I had friends and books. Friends and books. Literally, that's what kept me in jail. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you really missed your kids. So I don't want to discount that. But yeah, no, that that was the worst part. I really justified that by like how involved our families were, thankfully, like my parents, my sisters, everyone. So many people showed up for my kids while I was going through this. But yeah, if it wasn't for my children, I don't know. I might have just stayed. I might have just stayed. I honestly like things got so much harder when I left. It was really like just kind of comfortable for a minute there in jail. And that sounds awful. And that's not to downgrade how awful that is. I fell apart when I left knowing the people I was leaving behind there who were still stuck in that situation. Just I met way better people in jail than I have in a lot of my actual like interactions. There's some really good people who end up there and it was hard to leave. It was like a whole nother world. So now I'm just back in my awful life. I couldn't look at them the same anymore. It felt like a captor. It felt just like one wrong move. There, there's no way out of this until the charges go away. I thought I just have to do what he wants or he's going to send me back to jail and then my kids aren't going to be safe. I really felt like I couldn't do anything. And I remember like trying to like, trying to like have sex with my husband after that. He just felt scary to me now. He wasn't even the same person. And it's like I had finally seen through to like this deeper layer of him and I hated this person. That's absolutely heartbreaking. I'm glad that you brought up the intimacy thing because I'm sitting here going like it must have felt I don't want to call it like sexual assault. I could imagine I would feel violated at that point. Yes, that's what it felt like and the shitty thing was like I had survived a sexual assault before and that is it just triggered so much of that to come back. I didn't feel like it just I again just didn't feel like I had a choice and obviously like to some extent there was a choice but like it didn't feel like a choice. Sarah, once I was back in the picture, like I really wanted nothing to to do with that. I did kind of manage to hold my ground. I was like, this can't be a part of this. I'm I'm not doing this anymore. And she was no longer a part of my relationship with me and my husband. But I do know that they were absolutely still maintaining a relationship behind my back. I stayed with them as long as I could until my husband ended up hiring me a more high profile attorney, someone a little, little bit fancier. And that man lived in the same town we did, saw us around all the time. He kept catching my husband cheating with 
other women. So he's cheating on me. He's cheating on her. He's cheating on everyone. And he's seen him with multiple women. And my husband knew that too. And so I don't think, I don't think he knew I knew, but when I found out, I took my kids and we were packing, we were packing to leave. And my husband came home and was like, you're not going anywhere. Basically he and I got into a physical struggle over my keys. He basically held me down, choked me and took the keys out of my hand. I ran, I got out of there. I got a ride. I went somewhere else. And what's really funny after I ended it that day and after that happened, like I was too scared to call the police because the police were after me. So how do I safely talk to the police even about this? They're not going to believe me. And that night in the middle of the night, police were sent to my friend's house and I was arrested again. What the literal fuck? Yep. So I'm arrested again. And then this turnaround is much quicker. The next morning, my attorney got me in front of a judge immediately. He's like, this is out of control. This is ridiculous. My husband shows up and begs them to drop the charges. And this time they did. Like, this is ridiculous. So he does that and there's still just no consequences. And at that point, I don't go back. I said, I'm done. I went home from jail with my dad that day. I moved in with my parents. My dad went and picked my stuff up and I moved in with my parents. The problem was he was refusing to let me see my children. So now I'm dealing with that level of hell. And um, I have people keeping an eye on them and he'll let my parents see them. But now he's put on the show again. He's saying she's crazy. She's a violent monster. She can't be around the kids. So that was all like really, really terrifying. He and I are now not on good terms. We're two months away from my trial for the original criminal charges. So I am now staring down the barrel of you might be going to jail forever. And he's swearing to me. He's swearing to my attorney. I'm not going to testify against her. I'm gonna, I just want all this to go away. I just want her to leave me alone. I ended up getting a call from one of my neighbors saying that my kids weren't, hadn't been in school. And so I contacted him like a week or two before the trial. And I told them like, hey, I need to know where my kids are. My parents haven't seen the kids. None of us have seen the kids. Where are the kids? And he's like, you're being threatening and crazy. I'm going to call the police if you keep pushing this issue. I said, okay, if you won't let me see my children, I'm getting an attorney and we're going to have to work this out the hard way. Do you really want to do that? Do you really want to go to court when we could just co-parent our children? And he's like, yes, I want to go to court. I'm like, okay. And so a couple weeks later, we show up to trial and my attorney walks over to my ex who's there and says, are you testifying against her or are you still wanting to get this all thrown out? And my husband says, I just want it all to go away. Again, this this whole thing is ridiculous. It got blown way out of proportion. I just want her to be okay and we'll work it out ourselves. And my attorney's like, great, I'll see you in the courtroom. So we're sitting there waiting and we go through all like the pretrial motions and then they call their first witness, the prosecution, the people prosecuting me, call their first witness and he gets up on the stand and he starts telling a slightly different because he can't keep his story straight, but equally crazy story kind of consistent with the one that he initially told the police. And court is almost never actually like the TV stuff. This was like the TV stuff. My attorney is objection, your honor. May I approach the bench? He's like mad. And this man is this very like handsome stoic man, just very like lawyery. And he's like, may I approach the bench? And he like goes down and he tells the judge, this man until five minutes ago said he wanted the charges dropped. He did this X, Y, Z. I want a mistrial. I know too much about this. I'm a witness in this case now. So we are going, I want to redo. And my attorney turns to me and he says, I'm a witness in your case. You're going to have to get a new lawyer, but like you need me. This guy's crazy. And I'm like, okay, sure. And the judge is like, okay, this is crazy. He's like, this doesn't never happen, but this is kind of unique. So I'm going to grant the mistrial. So we're going to set a new date after you get a new lawyer. And so I'm like, okay, we're leaving the courtroom. And my ex 
ex-husband walks past my attorney and he looks him in the eye and says, surprise, I got you. I'm so scared for you and your children. This is the father of your child. That to me was just so extra crazy. My mom calls him a Scooby-Doo villain. She's like, he's a Scooby-Doo villain. And it's just so true. You're waiting for them to rip the mask off and be like, who's under there? Like, that's not you. But we can't believe that happened. And now my attorney is like hot and bothered and he's just cool. So now we're just in this giant lull. I don't have an attorney. I have to get a new attorney. We're going to have another trial. Now I have this whole new aspect to my defense of just, he's literally crazy. But all I have to do now is wait. And I don't know where my kids are. The trial's over. I hire a new attorney and I hire his wife as well to handle my custody issues. So now I've got two lawyers and plus the other two who are both my two former lawyers are also testifying for me. So there's like four lawyers involved in this now and my kids are missing. And so we get a private investigator and we sue him for custody and we find out that he has taken my children and he has disappeared to the state that Sarah lives in. That as it turns out, her and her mother came up here, took my children, put them on a plane, took them down to where they live, which is again, like 25 hours away. And now they all live together. My husband gave them permission to do this. And now after the trial, he has flown down and they are all living together. The day I found out, I like fell apart. I screamed, I cried, I threw a tantrum. It it was just, it was one of the hardest days of my life because I knew everything he was doing was wrong. I knew it could all be used against him and I knew I could win it, but I knew it wasn't going to be short. I realized like that there was like a whole web of like a mess now. And so, and the courts, no one was happy with him about what he had done. We couldn't really get grounds for kidnapping yet because the logic was they're like, this is your husband. You, these were your kids. This was the father of your kids. Even though he wasn't the biological father of my older daughter, he had still been in her life all this time. I left her alone with him all the time. And really, if you look at it from that perspective, there's no big red, there's a red flag. This is weird, but it's not crazy yet. And so the courts basically told me like, we're not making any decisions until your charges are resolved, but COVID hits and everything just stops. It backed up the court system so badly that there were delays for years. It took us forever to get a court date. I couldn't make anything move. We just kept having to delay. And we're also trying to build a case. My one attorney told me over and over again, she's like, it's this hard because you're innocent. This is your whole life. We have all this proof. We have to put it on right. We have to do this right. Otherwise, you don't get your kids, period, because you're in jail. So we had to play a long game. The courts did force my husband to let me communicate with my daughters. And he did force my husband to even let my older daughter visit. And she visited. And when she came home, you could kind of tell that she had heard a lot of the stories. He had told her a lot of really inappropriate things. At first, it was like really weird to like be around my daughter again. But then she quickly kind of like realized like this is just mom, like nothing happened. And when she went back, she went back to where he was back to stay with him again. She was very, very angry and she started giving him a lot of problems. And he got into a physical altercation with my daughter. I don't know like the full extent of what happened, but I know it ended with him restraining my daughter. Sarah tried to, I guess, assist in this. And my daughter tried to stab her with a pencil. And my daughter called me. She called me from there. And she's just, she's a little girl. And she tells me this story. And I'm on the phone with her, just like, like sobbing, but trying not to let her hear me. And I'm just like, okay, all right. Yep. Mommy is gonna, okay. 
thank you for telling me that. She told me she had, uh, because of it, she'd been grounded for a month. She hadn't been allowed out of her room. She wasn't allowed to play with her little sister, but they're punishing her for defending herself after they did something that made this little girl scared enough to defend herself. And I'm not amused by this story. And my amazing attorney and my dad did some arm twisting and they had my daughter home by the end of the week. And she's here and she's amazing and she's thriving and doing great. It took a lot of therapy. If anything, like our relationship's probably 10 times stronger than it would have been previously. But, you know, we got through it. And during this time, I'm just kind of trying to make a normal life for my daughter again. I had a job from the week after I left my husband. Like I have never had a problem doing that. I went and got a job at a hair salon. My bosses were fully aware of the severity of my situation. They gave me a chance anyway, and I was able to start over, get my own place. I went back to school. I got a degree in paralegal studies, which I'm continuing on. Everything's going great. And the trial was actually delayed all the way up until this year. So we showed up. I had a lot of witnesses. I had cops from my academy show up for me. My parents were there to testify for me. I planned to take the stand and testify. I was fully prepared to take the stand and testify. I showed up with my two attorneys, both the woman who handled my custody. So the wife of my defense attorney, she had a huge part. She actually handled a lot of the courtroom stuff that day and she was just incredible. Um, So I had these two attorneys. I had my first attorney there. He was there to testify for me. He got up on the stand and very much like mirror image, exactly the same as the first trial. But we showed up. He was the first witness to go up to the stand and he went up there and just like the first time he got up and started telling his story. What was really interesting this time was the story sounded nothing like any other story he told before because he just quite simply can't remember a lie the same way. He lied through his teeth. He had conflicting statements with his own statements. He tried to make up a massive lie about my attorney who had passed away and the judge remembered everything, called him out on it. It was publicly embarrassing. The judge watched his interactions with my husband and he, I think, saw through a lot of what was going on. So when we put the case on, the judge called my husband out on it. He goes, I remember all of that. I remember everything you've said before. Before. He got up there and my female attorney had him sweating. She had him close to tears. And the thing was, he got called out on a lot of lies. He admitted to a lot of it. He told some lies about the forensic evidence that very much showed how planted everything was. He told some lies that just like any judge or cop would have known the difference. It's almost like he really thought he was smarter than the system and smarter than this man who's overseen probably thousands of cases. They hear lies and truths and the craziest of all stories. They know what they're doing. In my situation, like the system very much worked for me and the truth came out. Usually in a criminal trial, the people who are bringing the charges or the prosecution puts their story on. They put their witnesses on because they are the ones who have to prove that I'm guilty and they get their chance to do that. And then usually the defense, so my attorneys would put our case on and we would have testified and had all my witnesses come up. But in this case, the judge threw out the charges before they had to hear a word out of any of us. The judge said literally, that his conflict wasn't with the witnesses, conflicts between the other witnesses. It was just conflicts with my husband himself. He said he didn't say a credible thing on the stand. He said it makes for a plausible story that I was framed for the entire crime. He said that he defrauded the court system and conspired to do so further. And he just said, I don't believe any of it. And he threw it out. He just threw it out after all that time. And he said he wished he had thrown it out at the mistrial. He said, I this could have been over. How good did that feel? 
feel? It was incredible. I just cried and cried and cried. How did your ex-husband respond when the judge looked at him and was like, you're literally lying? So unfortunately, he wasn't in the room. Typically, a witness, once they've testified, they have to go sit out in a witness room because they don't want the witnesses to hear each other's testimony. It can mess it up. So he wasn't there. That's okay because I contacted the court reporter and I got a copy of the entire transcript. So I have a copy of every single word that was said that day. So he didn't hear it at the time, but I did get to watch him walk away, head held low, hung low. And I got to watch him walk out. That was incredible. We contacted him the next Monday because I was like, yeah, I'd like to talk to my daughter because he still has custody of my youngest daughter. He tried to basically tell my father like, oh, well, we all know she's crazy. And my dad said to him, no, we don't actually. This is what the judge said about you, though. And my dad, he told him, he said, oh, yeah, you defrauded the court system. That judge threw all all those charges, not because of anything she did, not because of anything she said, but because of everything you did, everything you said. You are the only thing that's named in the court opinion. It says you are a liar. And after that, he now has just crumbled. He is now 100% cooperative. I think he's scared shitless, honestly. He still lives down there with her. They live together. She stole my family. She stole my daughter. She is raising my daughter right now. You're still working through with custody, so you still don't have custody of your daughter. I don't. Not of the smaller one. Yesterday, hired an attorney. How long do you think that's going to take? How long has it been since you've seen her? I haven't seen her in person since 2019. He has failed to comply with my custody order over and over and over. He is legally required to send her every summer and he hasn't. He has already, we have already got him writing. He is sending her this summer whether custody has been changed or not. I hope that we're done by now. I would say we should probably be in front of a judge within the next like month or two. So four years, almost four years. How old is she now? She is seven. You've missed out. I mean, I, I really hope I'm not like pushing too hard on this. Those are vital years of their life. It sucks because they're the victims here. Like, yeah, this ultimately this put up quite a dent in my life, but I've only elevated like my life's only gotten better. Honestly, I'm not the same person I was then. I don't think I knew what a healthy relationship was before this. It was a horrible way to go through it, but I got out of what was realistically a really dangerous situation. I learned that it's hard to take me out, I guess. Like I can pretty much get through anything if I just stay calm and and focused. I wouldn't have gone back to school. I wouldn't have a degree. I wouldn't have quite so much confidence in myself. I wouldn't have learned these boundaries if it wasn't for what he put me through. It definitely made me realize you have to look a little bit closer just because you've known someone forever, unfortunately, doesn't mean you totally know them. Doesn't mean the relationship's going to work. And that's sad. I think I put a lot of pressure of like, I knew you so long. I knew you forever. We were so close. He could never hurt me. And unfortunately, you know, in this case he did. And that was, that was a hard lesson to learn. It was hard to walk away from someone I cared about that much and believe in just what was actually right in front of my eyes. We put blinders on with the people we care about. We can't disregard things that are literally happening to us. We, you have to believe in what is happening to you and you have to believe in what you're feeling and that it's valid. Why do you think he did all this? Like I said earlier, like almost like they were trying to get rid of you. It really is. I think the hardest part of this is I will never understand what would make someone go to these lengths to avoid just being held responsible. I think he was very determined to not be the bad guy. And the thing is, going through a breakup doesn't make you the bad guy. Sometimes no one wins. Sometimes you're both wrong. Sometimes things just can't work out. Sometimes relationships change and people change. You Just because you break up doesn't mean the person you broke up with was evil. Just because it didn't work for you, they could be perfect for someone else. They could be perfectly compatible. It's not as simple as winning and losing. 
think when it comes to parenting, you made a decision to have a kid together. You're committed to that. Like if nothing else, you need to be a united front for your children for even if it's only in that context that you two can get along, you need to be best friends for your kids or at least like in front of them pretend to be. This wasn't easier than a divorce. We still had to go through the divorce. We still had to go through the custody battles. We just took a long, expensive road to get there and uh, getting through the situation means I had to accept an apology that I'm never going to get, never going to get. I had to just forgive it and move on myself. I think the hardest part is I never would have done this to him. I never would have taken his kids away. To do it once was already like a lot. And then to do it again, to double down every single time you tried to leave. I'm sorry that he brought your daughter into this too, which in a weird, like fucked up way, at least it got you custody of her. I mean, you talked a lot about resilience, but like, what have you really taken from this? Because I know you're in a new relationship. So how did you approach dating, finding a new partner from this situation? That was really hard. Just getting out of a marriage and trying to date again was weird. I didn't like that. I think the first couple people I kind of spent time with, nothing against any of them, but just like I wasn't even invested. It was just kind of like I was lonely. And I think I was purposely picking people that I was not even slightly compatible with. So that as almost a defense of like, oh, this can't go anywhere. I just wouldn't be in this relationship. And, you know, I learned things from both of those. But I think getting back into like an actual serious relationship again was terrifying. My partner has also been through a pretty traumatic divorce. He's dealt with some pretty, thankfully for him, not as like legally damaging, but like some some pretty messed up relationships. And so I found someone who was very understanding. I really paid attention this time in finding and like setting my boundaries and being very clear about like what I want, what I expect. I think one thing I've had to realize is just there's not necessarily a, a right way. I think a big thing that kept me in my relationship was that I had messed up relationships before. My breakup from my first daughter's father was absolutely heartbreaking. I was head over heels and it took me a really long time to get over that. But I felt like I kind of had to check boxes and try to put my life back together because like I had met him and like gotten pregnant and gotten married really quickly. And I'm like, oh, I just didn't do that right. You're supposed to know them for a long time. You're supposed to go on, stay together this long. You're supposed to be engaged for this long. You're supposed to go through all these motions. And that's how you form a relationship. That doesn't necessarily just make for the perfect relationship. That time invested in that person. Sometimes we have to learn how to like let that go. Sometimes you can't hold on to it just because you've been there a long time. So I just, I've kind of tried to just like relax a little more and focus on what I need. I'm unwavering in my boundaries. Like the me going to school, having a job, these things are all deal breakers. I found someone where that's not like we're partners, we're equals. I'm keeping myself as a very important part of the relationship too. Like I'm not going to give up anything for anybody else just to appease anybody. But that's hard too. It's been hard to like trust anybody again. I catch myself bringing insecurities from like that situation into my relationship and I have to stop myself sometimes and go, we can't blame him for things that happened in other relationships. We can't hold on to that. This is different. This is not the same. This is not similar. You know, I have to learn how to kind of compartmentalize. I have to be really patient. And I hate using the word healed because I think we're all broken people who are constantly working through things. So there's never like a fully healed. But did you get to a point where like, okay, I'm ready for something serious? Or was it meeting this person that you were like, okay, I'm ready to be a little bit more vigilant about some of the struggles that I know I'm going to have getting into a relationship? I think maybe both. I think it had to do with like who it was, but then also it wasn't a good time. Realistically, I think it was more of very much who they were because when I met this person, I was preparing to go on trial and they very much were aware of these things. They knew the full scope. It was It's someone who had been in my life. We'd known each other for a long time. We just didn't like know each other well. And he was very aware of my situation and 
and we were talking about a future when I wasn't really sure if I had one. That was a hell of a commitment for them to make. It made me feel really guilty a lot of the time of like, I'm sitting here fully committing into this new relationship and I'm still have this fear in the back of my head that I'm going to jail for the rest of my life. I think if it wasn't them, I don't know if I would have, I would have done that. That was a lot of patience that they showed. They got to see me through some of the worst months of my life because I was not doing well right before the trial. I was very scared and very worried. I, I think really things just lined up at the right place at the right time in this particular situation. I'm still very much healing. I don't think the trauma really hit. A lot of it didn't even hit until after the trial was already over. And I still think there are still days that are hard. There are still days I don't feel healed. But I think just acknowledging that has been probably the only way to get through it. Just I some days I wake up and I'm like, I'm not okay. I don't even know why. I feel like there should be a boogeyman chasing me or like something should be going wrong. I'm just not used to living, I guess, in a world where it isn't my reality anymore. So I think it's probably going to take a long time. I think there's going to be more triggers. I think there are going to be bad days. I think there's going to be bad months. There's going to be anniversaries of this that are still going to live in my body. It's going to hurt until it doesn't anymore. That's how trauma works. There's no just, I think, magic healing moment. This will probably hurt for a long time. Yeah, but I think anybody would feel the same, if not worse, after having gone what you've gone through. Just for anybody who's listening and can put themselves in your shoes and are maybe in a situation like yours, is there anything that you've kept in the back of your mind while going through these really rough moments and going through your healing process that's been helpful or just a piece of advice you'd want to share with them? I remember like the one thing that popped into my head really early in this process, kind of when all the charges first hit, the phrase that went into my head immediately was, this isn't how you go. That was a quote from the movie Big Fish, which is a Tim Burton movie. Every time he's faced with something he thinks he's going to kill him, he goes, this isn't how I go. For some reason, when all of this hit, I just made the decision like, this is not how I'm going out. This isn't the story that's going to be told. I didn't go through all of this just to have it end on this guy's words. I always told myself, it's going to hurt till the pain stops. It's going to be hard till it isn't. But one way or another, this is going to end. This is going to end somehow. You have to just believe it's going to get better. There were some days that was it. That's all you have. There's not always like a guarantee. Some of these things don't come with a textbook. You just have to believe it's going to get better. And remember that like if you can make it through like 10 more minutes, just make it through that 10 minutes. If it's one day, make it through that one day. That's really, that's all you can do. And that sounds kind of simple or maybe silly, but sometimes that's it. You found yourself in a lot of places without a lot of hope or without a lot of joy around. I mean, I can only imagine what it was like to be in jail and having to cling on to any kind of hope that things were going to get better. So I think that's a really powerful statement and affirmation to tell yourself, just clinging on to any little bit of hope that you have left. And I'm glad that's not the story that was told. Like, I'm glad that you're sitting here with me and we're talking through this really traumatic experience. Well, I know it's not easy and I know that you're still in the thick of it. I'm glad that there have been some silver linings, like your stronger relationship with your daughter and the healthier relationship you found yourself in now and your new career. So I'm really happy for you and you have a lot to be proud of. Is there anything else you want to say or just let us know before we wrap things up? No, just like go to therapy. I feel like maybe even my ex-husband wouldn't be this way if he would just go to therapy. Just no one's perfect. You can mess all your stuff up, but you can put it back together. Admit you're wrong. Find a way to fix it. Move on. It's okay. On this week's Breakdown Bonus episode, I'm talking to trauma therapist Catherine Ripley. We're going to have a conversation about how domestic violence is so much more than just physical violence and how it affects its victims. Again, you can find me on Instagram at Breakup Breakdown Podcast and that breakup story submission form is in the episode description. I'll see you whenever you decide to tune in next.